Hi, everybody. This is Pete Worrell, and I'd like to welcome you to this month's episode of Positive Enterprise Value Podcast. Positive Enterprise Value is hosted on Bigelow LLC's website, which is bigelowllc.com, where we freely share immediately useful information for high-performing entrepreneur owner-managers who want to build their enterprise value, their positive legacy, and possibly create a capital gain someday. So, in this series of monthly podcasts, I interview seasoned, successful entrepreneur owner-managers who are high performers, maybe even peak performers in their niche domains. Together, we look for patterns of connectedness across those domains to help us learn and grow. What do you do when, by your mid-40s, you and your brother had already built one of the largest and most successful construction equipment manufacturers in the country? merged it into a group called Attachments Technology. It was acquired by Norwest Equity Partners and renamed Paladin, which incidentally is now owned by Stanley Works. What do you do when you've already accomplished all that by your mid-40s? Well, in the case of Gary Wilt, you go home to Chattanooga, you build some spec homes for a couple of years, and then you and your brother Gary go out and start another construction equipment business, this time naming it tag, that's Terry and Gary, which over the succeeding 15 years becomes one of the largest and most successful manufacturers of construction buckets in the world. Gary is not only an accomplished entrepreneur owner manager, he's a husband, a brother, a father, a son, a very humble man of faith. I had the fun of digging into some of Gary's inspirations, some of his motivations, early beginnings, successes, maybe some disappointments, and definitely lessons learned in this hour-long podcast. This podcast was recorded live on Friday, February 28th at the headquarters of TAG Manufacturing in their terrific industrial park in Chattanooga, Tennessee. As always, these podcasts are unscripted and unedited. I know you'll learn a lot from it. I did, and laugh like hell as well. Here's Gary. Uh, so Gary, I, I really want to thank you for being uh, with me on Positive Enterprise Value Podcast this morning. Really appreciate it. Uh, glad to be here. I've really been looking forward to doing this with you, and um, I thought we would uh, just get launched right in. One of the questions I have for you is, you know, a lot of people listening to this podcast who are mostly business owners, a lot of them may know of you uh, through uh, your uh, industry or your company, or they may have seen some material on you on positive enterprise value. And they probably know you as an entrepreneur times a couple of times successfully business owner. Let me give you a chance. If you were going to use a couple of words to describe what you do professionally, what would you say? I would say... The biggest thing I think is we are a sales-driven company and we are sales-driven people. Everything that I think that we do uh, at TAG and CNP was basically to anything for the customer. And so um, when you think about your personal role at TAG, um, would you use a word like, when you said sales-driven company, would you use a word like seller or salesman? I would consider myself customer service. Okay. 
So is that what you thought you were going to do when you were a kid? No. <laughs> no. I really didn't know what I was going to do. Were your parents entrepreneurs? Uh, my grandfather was. Uh, my dad was. My brother was. Um, I was in sales. I got my first career in sales for about seven or eight years, and I learned a lot of what you should or shouldn't do on the customer service side. When you got your first career in sales, was that right out of college? No, I had about three years of construction. Yeah. Trying to figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up. Right. And then uh, I forget, I know you've told me, but where did you go to work for those years after that? Uh, Puritan Chemical Company. Right. So you were selling chemicals for what kind of chemicals? Uh, industrial, mostly industrial. Cool. So um, if you didn't, if you said no, I didn't know I was going to do that when I was a kid. Uh, but you mentioned your 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 dad and your mom and your grandparents were entrepreneurs. What did they do as entrepreneurs? Uh, my grandfather owned a small company that sold to restaurants, Superior Foods, sold coffee, uh, green beans to the small restaurants. Right. Um, he had an interesting saying when I was a little kid. He used to say, uh, no one will get it all. We'll get our share. And, you know, sold coffee, paprika, and stuff like that. And where, uh, was that in the southeast? I was in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what about your dad and your mom? Uh, my dad uh, was in the Army. My grandfather always, or his dad always wanted him to come to work with him in there in the industry and dad didn't so somehow dad came to chattanooga tennessee and went to college wow and after the army yeah after the army he was in two years uh, right before he was right in between world war ii and the end of world war ii right right and so then when he got out of college what did he do that's a good question <laughs> um he was going to be a preacher oh yeah he graduated with theology uh, after he graduated with theology and accounting, I think he took a second look, went back to, to got his accounting degree uh, from the University of Alabama at Birmingham and worked for a bakery for a while, uh, quit there and then moved back to Chattanooga, worked for another bakery, McKee Foods, and um, then he went to work for another bakery. Oh, yeah. So, he, so was, he, he was also in the food business, really, like your yeah. grandfather was. Yeah. Yeah. On the accounting side. Oh, on the accounting side. Yeah. Okay. And is your degree in accounting also? Uh, business. Yeah. Okay. What kind of student were you? Average. Lazy. Uh, <laughs> did just enough to get by. Were there any moments from your growing up thinking about your dad working in the bakeries and you being an average lazy student doing just about enough to get by? Were there any specific moments growing up that particularly inspired you to be a business owner? No, I had some teachers in college that I respected a lot on the sales and marketing side. I enjoyed that side of it. Um, I knew that I wasn't smart enough to be an accountant. Um, really didn't know what I was going to do. I always knew that I wanted to be in sales. And going through college, I worked in construction, uh, liked it, built some, uh, the company I worked for, built some houses for my dad. And uh, Oh, like you mean spec houses that he was investing in with you? Uh-huh, spec houses. He, yeah. was, he was doing it, and the company I worked for was actually the, the builder. I see, yeah. 
Was that a good experience? Great. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it, you're outdoors, freedom. Uh, it was wonderful. So uh, I wonder if when you think about yourself in the construction business, when you came out of college, and then, then Puritan Chemical, and um, we'll come to uh, CMP and TAG in a moment, but as you think back now that you've been a business owner for 40 years, you ever have any sympathy for those uh, guys that you worked for? Tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> There's a gentleman that um, I think of him a lot. He's probably passed away now, but uh, he was the vice president of marketing. And I for which company? For Puritan Chemical. Yeah. And, uh, and you were in your 20s. And I thought I knew everything. Well, you did, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, wow, <laughs> he should have fired me. Right. So uh, many people who are listening to the podcast, Gary, uh, will know about the recent recapitalization of your company, uh, TAG, uh, by uh, Center Rock, a private equity firm in, in Detroit. But I want to just take you back because uh, as my understanding, and you got to help me out here in the story, is that your brother Terry and your dad and your maybe your mom were working at CMP Enterprises when you left Puritan to, to come help. Do I have that right? That is correct. And 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 why did they feel at that moment that help was necessary? Uh, my dad always wanted my brother and me to be involved. My dad always wanted a to be involved together. Uh huh. Yeah. Always wanted a manufacturing company. He had a uh, spring manufacturing company in Michigan, Bering Springs, Michigan. Your dad did? Yeah, my dad did. How did he get from the uh, the bakery business to owning a spring company in Michigan? You know, I wish my brother probably would know. Uh, I don't know. And um, when you say springs, do you mean like automotive springs? Or? Yes, little yes. tiny springs. Okay. And he had the him and another guy, and I don't remember who his partner was, and uh, he said, I had the greatest of everything. We had a little business, great machinery, and they had a steel strike. Oh, and yeah. essentially, they had to close the doors. And so Dad always dreamed of my brother and me and him working together in manufacturing. So uh, when uh, Terry was working with your, your dad, Jack, at CMP Enterprises, they somehow gave you a call. I had, uh, I was, had the, I lived in Atlanta and I had uh, Atlanta and Chattanooga, Nashville. It was my territory. And I would stop by, see them, spend some time in their little office trailer. And uh, it was always a goal um, when they bought that in end of 1988. So for a couple years, I would stop by and give them some insight or whatever. And uh, how were they selling then? How were they selling the buckets they were making? Same way, uh, same type of way they got started. They hired a gentleman that was uh, laid off. There was a down, big downturn uh, in 87, 88, 89, right there. Yeah. And um, so they hired a, a gentleman that had been doing it. And uh, Roy Stevenson, uh, great, great gentleman, uh, taught us a lot. And basically, put a couple buckets in the back of a pickup truck and went around and started making friends. <laughs> so, so you had been stopping by, and you were watching their progress. And I'm just imagining in the back of their little trailer, they were a pretty small outfit. Very small. 
And like, uh, did they have uh, half a dozen people working in the plant? Probably about ten. Yeah, fifteen maybe. Uh, dirt floor, five thousand square feet, <laughs> um, and that's really where they it got started. They had uh, essentially swapped a farm and some money from a gentleman, uh, Ledford Cook, who had started C and P, um, and so. That really the rest is history. That was the starting block. So um, I'm just trying to think about how you and were you married at this point? Was okay. So you and Anita are living in Atlanta, probably. Right. And uh, Atlanta probably was you know the big city, and there was a lot going on. And uh, your dad Jack and Terry are from time to time trying to plant little seeds with you that you geez you really ought to come up here to Chattanooga and work with us on C and P. And you're thinking, there's no way I'm doing that. Uh, very true. <laughs> my wife was uh, probably putting a, uh, a bigger noise in my ear. Uh, she was a career woman and uh, was doing well. And, you know, I'm wanting to move back. She was from Chattanooga, and I'm wanting to move back to Chattanooga um, to a little company on a dirt floor in McDonald, Tennessee. So tell me, when, when you did make the leap and you came and moved back, uh, Terry and your dad had already been working together for a number of years. How did that work out to have a third part of the tripod come in? It worked out good. Uh, it was just a couple months when I really had started working, and then our father passed away in June of 92. Right. And um, there was a couple rough months in there. Basically, I think my brother was you know, upset about losing our dad, but also I'm trying to take dad's place. Yeah. And... So the first couple months were a little rough, just as my brother and me are trying to figure out, you know, our place. And really after that, uh, I mean, we've had our differences, which is great. Um, he's the yin and I'm the yang. Without a doubt, yeah. You guys are just so blessed to be able to have each other and have that uh, appreciation for the fact that you each have these unique abilities different from one another, right? Right. Very cool. So uh, t- take us through a little, just a tiny bit about CMP's history, and then you, uh, you guys somehow were approached by MetaPoint Partners and decided to sell the business to them. Um, yeah, my after my father had passed away, we moved to uh, the new a new location, built a plant in 1995. Big, new, beautiful new plant, right? Very big plant. And we grew about every two years. We would add another 50,000 square feet until in 2000, we were up to 200,000 square feet in a separate paint building. And uh, so CMP was actually owned by my brother and my mom. And uh, they had sold to MetaPoint Partners in 2000, I think February of 2000. And so we stayed on, my brother and me. My mom retired, who was the CFO, and then we uh, stayed on and ran it for MetaPoint Partners for about three years. And so the business was this little business with 10 or 15 guys on a dirt floor plant, and you came together with Terry and Jack. Jack passed quickly thereafter, but after a few years, you're now at a 200,000-square-foot plant what caused that increase in demand and that increase in sales? Well, I th- several things. I, I think uh, 
Roy Stevenson was a big part of that. The gentleman that my dad and brother hired in 1989 was a big part of that. Uh, us growing and having the ability to compete and capacity. Um, I, I think the good Lord looked out for us. Uh, he's continued to look out for us. And um, I think that's a big part of it. And I, I think it goes back to this age-old thing. Um, we are a sales-driven, customer-driven company. Uh, we, we sort of brought, or I brought that in from my experience at Puritan. And that's, that's really the secret sauce. So, and so really, I think what you're translating there is that if you are that customer-driven company and you do a good job with your products, the customers began to place these bigger orders, which probably was somewhat terrifying because you could get tipped over, right? So you had to keep building a bigger plant. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yes and yes. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So uh, let's see if I've got the story right. You guys worked with MetaPoint for a few years. And uh, by 1999, you had come together with MetaPoint's other attachment uh, manufacturers in a new organization called Attachments Technology. Yes. Which was acquired by Norwest Equity Partners. That was acquired, I believe, in October of 03. Okay. And um, they brought their, uh, you know, their style, their own folks in. We stayed on for six to eight months through that transition. And uh, at the end of that transition, I think my brother left a little early and then I left a little late. I think I left in June of 03 or 04. And how did you know, how do you and Terry know just personally, like, okay, it's time for me to move on? What was your feeling about that? Well, I, I think a lot of things. It's hard to go from the boss to the employee. Yeah. Um, that was some of it. Uh, some of it, some of the culture was changing. I'm not saying it was good, bad, or indifferent, but the culture was changing. And uh, it was time, my brother and me, you know, it was time to go into business and do something for our own selves. Right. So um, that company, which has now been renamed Paladin, is still a competitor in your uh, business and uh, seems successful. Uh, very good competitor, very yep. good company. They've gone through a couple transactions. And now owned by? Stanley. Right, right. So, uh, and your old CMP plant is still across town? Across the interstate, still doing well. Yeah. Uh, same facility. So uh, after a couple of years, you and Terry are now determined to get back into a business together and you have some ideas and um, you formed TAG. But before you did that, did you try some other things? I built some houses and went back to oh. building some houses. Yeah. Uh, probably built about six spec homes. Oh, yeah. Um, that was not for me. And why is that? It's just not the repeat selling. Uh, right. And I like what we do. Um, so, and, so selling spec homes one by one doesn't really leverage uh, building a relationship. No, it's one at a time. Yeah. So you guys had a conversation going on while you were building those spec homes. Yes, and we went. I went to the mayor in Chattanooga. So the industrial park that we're at now, um, they had started a new industrial park, and they were looking for employers. Uh, all about cre job creation. So uh, 
we talked to the mayor. Uh, there was a re mayor, Mayor Kinsey, was uh, retired or had come out of term, and I knew him, and Bob Corker was the new mayor. And so Mayor Kinsey and Mayor Corker helped us, helped me get this land. It was about the first phase one, which was about 26 acres. And it took about a year to build a building. Um, and did you have it in your mind that the building was going to be manufacturing buckets? We always knew we could. Uh, we were going to go down a different avenue. Um, so we built half of it. This time we built 100,000 square feet. A uh, little bit of faith there with no customers. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that for everyone. There was some sleepless nights. And, uh, but anyway, so we got that rolling. And uh, we were going to do some things. Well, the economy was really heating up in 05 and 06. Right. And so some of the customers I was dealing with said, hey, are you going to be back in the bucket business? And I said, maybe. So there was a gentleman that uh, I'll never forget in March of 05 gave me an order for some backhoe buckets on a napkin. Where was that? Uh, at Hard Rock Cafe in Las Vegas. <laughs> So, so you're uh, at a trade show. At a trade show, and yeah. uh, we had done business with him. And uh, so anyway, he said, I know you will, and here's an order for 40. And I said, we'll ship them in May. Wow. So he came back to see Terry and said, now we got to make them. we got to do something now. So, uh, But anyway, so we started in May 1st of 2005 here at TAG. Wow, that's great. So over the years, and you and I have discussed this a little bit, you uh, built some businesses, and then you also had, I would say, some competing desire to, for freedom, right? That as we, we've gone through talking about building the business and what a responsibility that puts on the business owners, and not only to supply the financing and the debt and the leadership and the management. And at some points, um, your responsibilities were uh, gone. You were free when you left uh, CMP and uh, was owned by then become Paladin and yet you got back into the business and you did it again and then here we are today having just done a recapitalization and we've talked about you know gee part of the reason to doing this is for freedom but here we are on Friday today is uh, February 28th and uh, probably you're working today harder than ever help me understand all that uh, I like what I think it's in my blood. I like it. Uh, I like, you know, our customers have become our friends. Um, maybe I don't know what else to do. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to go lay on the beach and see yeah, Iowa. No. Uh, so I don't know. It's, um, I think we've, uh, one nice thing about it, uh, we have got great partners on this recapitalization. Uh, you know, their growth strategy and some of their strategies are in line with my brother and me. So uh, that's, you know, for the next two years, that is sort of my chapter uh, is to, as we get down this road. Got it. So if you, let me just ask you a personal question. If you look in the mirror and you're um, completely candid with yourself, what ways would you say that you're, you are challenging to work with? Uh Probably my inside sales guy, sometimes I am thinking about three different things at the same time and talking about one. <laughs> so sometimes you have to interpret 
my conversation that I'm having with myself. Uh, communication sometimes with, especially on the inside sales team. Yeah, you strike me as a really great communicator. I'm a good communicator, but I'm also not a good communicator. Um, that's a weakness I think I have where I'm thinking everyone's on the same page as me. Right. Got it. Got it. So so at some point during the course of your career, you keep uh, achieving some freedom. You have an opportunity, if you want to, to think about doing something completely different. Do you ever... Uh, stare off at the ceiling and say to yourself, if, if I were going to take a year or two to learn a completely new skill that I always wanted to learn, what would that be? <laughs> Great question. Not really sure. I've really never, between my career at CNP and my career here at TAG, you know, I was basically retired for 16 months as we were building this and I didn't like it uh, there was not much structure there was uh, just I don't know you know you make a super interesting point I think many entrepreneurs in, including a lot of people listening to this are thinking about how to build the enterprise value of their business and as they go through the arc of their lives or their careers they want to be set free. And one of the discoveries I think that we make as business owners is that sometimes our businesses actually provide quite a deal of structure in our lives, of our days, our weeks, our years. Sometimes they also are the thing that organizes our relationships in our industries, our friends, right? It's right. hard to give that up. It's hard to give it up. I don't want to golf every day. I don't want to boat every day. Right. Um, Maybe I don't want to work every day, but uh, right, right. I need a good uh, complement of all. Right, with you. So most people would say that organizations work best when everyone who is in the organization thinks, acts, and feels that like almost like they're an owner. And yet at TAG, you and Terry were really the, the owners of the business. How did you and Terry foster that feeling with your team? Well, everything we do, especially, uh, is based around a team approach. Uh, team bonuses for sales and engineering and production uh, is the same. Uh, so, say more about that. I don't understand. So we don't have what I'd like to say sometimes on outside sales. You always They were the kings. And the folks inside were sort more of their, you know, just do whatever the king said. And so our approach here at TAG has been since really day one is sales inside and outside, uh, engineering and production that has anything to do with delivering of the product is on the same team bonus. So once a quarter, if we succeed and hit our goals and our targets, um, the bonus checks for each one of those team members will be the same. Wow. And that's worked out great for you. It has. Your, your team members seem to like that better than the way that most other people do it? I think so. I mean, uh, a couple things that people, you know, we don't have big turnover, so they must like it. Uh, I, you know, I think one of us, we're, we're easy to work for. We're not 
big in structure. Uh, we want each inside sales guy, we'd rather him ask for forgiveness than permission. They know some of the guidelines, but I don't think we micromanage our sales team. Uh, they know what we expect, and they can do it any way they want to within those guidelines. Can you say a little bit about your four-day work week? I think the four-day work week is a great thing uh, for production, four tens on first and second. Uh, on our inside sales team, so one week they work four, uh, they work eight to five, and then on Friday they work eight to four. And then on Friday we have exactly half of the inside sales team. So on the inside sales team, every other Friday they get off. So it rejuvenates them. They're, you know, it's great. They have their long weekend. They can spend time with their family. They can, like today, some of them are going to donuts with dad. Oh, yeah, great. So uh, I think that is a great motivator and a great recruiting tool. Yeah, um, so the listeners might not know, but we're here in a big industrial park that Gary and Terry were. Is it true to say you were the first ones here? I Nearly think, the first? Yeah. We Nearly were, the, we were the first. We were probably the first people that paid for land. <laughs> <laughs> there may have been a company that uh, was giving it to them, but I think we were the first uh, paying customers. And on our way here, Amanda and I went by a huge Volkswagen plant and also a number of suppliers to Volkswagen, obviously, who gather around the plant, plus another huge Amazon distribution facility. And so. I'm just imagining that here in Chattanooga, where I think it's been booming for a number of years, you do have to compete for your uh, skilled uh, talent. Yes, the economy's been good, especially the last three or four years, and we do have to compete. And it's a, it's a great tool, I think. So if someone's looking at one of these other employers who they're probably working five days a week, right? Uh, do, can they make as much or more with TAG working four days a week? Yes. Wow. We're in that same ballpark. Yeah. Um, we have some bonuses. We, you know, we, the typical 401ks and that type of thing. But the four-day work week uh, is a great recruiting tool for most. And I would think a lot of business owners listening to us right now, Gary, would be thinking to themselves, "Well, yeah, maybe you can do that, but in my business, I'm making components or parts, and I've got to be able to deliver on time to my customers." What would you say about that? Well. It's worked for us. I'm not telling you that it's the only way to do it. One nice thing about it in the busy time when we're working four tens, then on the fifth day if we're doing some work, we can work eight-hour shifts on that, and so we have the ability to make up for some production. Uh, but as a general rule, six months out of the year, employees love it. they got a great attitude. They come refreshed. Uh, it takes a little bit. Ten hours is a long day. Yeah. Um, but it takes a little bit. But I would say our production is very good. Yeah, that's for sure. So let me switch tax on here a little bit and just mention. Um, so I think a lot of listeners would say that, you know, axiomatically, just, you know, rule of thumb, pe organizations are at their best when people really understand their role and they're committed to their unique role in achieving the organization's purpose. So I'm talking about the concept of role clarity here. Yet you and your brother Terry have worked side by side for a lot of years. So <laughs> how, how have you 
How have you and Terry developed a sense of role clarity, both between you, but also so that other people who work with you can understand what each of your roles are? Well, I, I think uh, I think the first thing is my brother and me respect each other, and we respect each other's opinion. Uh, I think the greatest thing is he's totally different than me, and so we can have discussions and we can sit down and talk. Used to be a gentleman who's dead now, Bob Peel, was sort of a mentor to both of us. And uh, after our father passed away, he uh, he was sort of the referee. And it was great, but uh, at the end of the day, my brother and me always wanted to do what was best for either C&P or TAG. And we sort of stay in our lanes. Um, he has his responsibilities, I have my responsibilities. And in those gray areas where we need to talk and you know communicate on that, we sit down and chat about it and come out with what we think is the best for the company. And, and that must be well understood by the rest of your team also. I think so. I mean, it's about an example. Uh, they see it every time we have a discussion, every time we have to do something, we go back to the same rules. I mean, we don't change those. That's just how we do it. Yes. So you've got lots of strengths as a leader and as an entrepreneur. Do you have any kryptonite? <laughs> uh, probably. Not that I want to admit to any. <laughs> um, probably the easiest, probably my biggest weakness, if I'm looking back, is um, sometimes I can be easily sold on some uh, ideas. Um, in my younger days, I would always say yes. Um, it didn't matter, negotiations or whatever. Yes, we can do it. Since we were always such a sales-driven, customer-driven company, someone that would ask something, yes, yes, we can do it. As I've gotten older, I said, maybe, let me get back with you. <laughs> At least I could be on the airplane and think about it or run it by someone at work or run it by my brother and say, what do you think? And so I slowed that process down a little bit, down to about eight hours instead of instantly. That's good learning. Um, and is when someone says no to you, let's say when you're the customer, is that kryptonite for you? If that's something we want, yes. We're going to figure out. No is always the easiest answer. Yeah. Uh, whether someone tells you or you tell them. So, you know, if it's something and it's strategic for us when we hear no, especially they tell us no, uh, we need to go back and reevaluate why they said no and see what options or what we can do to get around that. So over the course of the last, uh, I'm going to say, 30 years plus, you and Terry have built um, two super successful businesses. Uh, that have uh, national name, image, reputation, you know, insert economically super successful. And also during that time, you have been married and raised a family. Do you think there's an unavoidable choice to be made between being a good parent and being a successful entrepreneur? I, I think in... I only ask easy questions. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> um I think in my younger days, starting, I probably put work in front 
you ask my wife, I probably put work in front of everything. Um, as I've gotten older, uh, it's probably all split up. But it's hard, especially if you start a company or you're involved in it. Um, you know, it, be, it becomes who you are. And, it, you know, you don't succeed without a lot of effort. It's not easy. We, my favorite saying that someone told me one time is, uh, we're like a duck. We're floating on top, but we're paddling like heck below. Right. And uh, that's always been, I think, my philosophy is we want to work hard. We don't want to tell anyone we're working hard. We don't want to show it. We just want to do it. So as a business owner and a successful one and with uh, two sort of grown kids, what do you want to teach your kids about the world of work? Well, I want to, hopefully I've taught them, uh, and my wife has probably done a better job than I have on this, but, uh, you know, first of all, be respectful. Don't, uh, don't take anything for granted. And um, so I think we have. I, I think it's a constant work in progress for, um, you know, for kids to, at least our kids, to not get ahead of themselves. And... Um, you know, don't don't expect it. Um, that's it's tough. It's always a work in progress, especially when you come from a successful family. Yes, I mean, uh, you know, I didn't grow up this way, and uh, so this has given us some great opportunities. And um, but you know, I think my kids and or our kids need the the work ethic. Uh, they want to earn it and do it themselves. What would your kids have to do work-wise to make you jealous of them? I don't think anything. I think, uh, you know, the moon is for them. We live in a great country. Uh, We have the ability to change our position in life. And I hope they can, whatever that is, financially or rewarding work-wise. I mean, it's not all about money. So many entrepreneur owner managers, Gary, who listen to this episode and hear me describe you, and if they look up online, they'll probably see you as a guy who has had lots and lots of successes, personally and professionally. Almost nothing they would see but successes in life. But if you and I are just talking, has there been a life failure or disappointment for you that comes to mind? Lots. Lots? Lots. A lot of... uh... You know, a lot of targets we've aimed at, and we haven't succeeded. Uh, we've, we only talk about our successes, but there's been a lot of failures. Uh, customers we couldn't, they didn't like the way we do business with. There's still a lot of them. Uh, there's still a lot of them out there. Um, How about personally? Are you willing, is there anything you're willing to tell us about that you consider to be a personal, uh, not a success, a failure, or a disappointment? Oh, lots. A lot of my, <laughs> I'm not willing to talk of, <laughs> on air or anything else about them. But, uh, you, you know, hopefully as you get older and a little more wisdom, you don't make those same mistakes. So do you think that any of those mistakes you just mentioned, um, did any of those evolve so to give you more strength somewhere? Yes. I, I think you learn by your mistakes. 
uh, you know, if you don't do anything, you don't make any mistakes. So uh, I think it's made me a better person uh, at work and at my home life. Um, so, you know, my next chapter is work and, you know, family and my kids. Do you have a sense for what your personal potential is at this point? And do you have a sense of how to unlock it going forward? I don't. This is going to be a new chapter. And uh, is, is this chapter, again, I'm thinking of that arc, is this chapter more about freedom from something, or is this chapter going to be more about freedom to something? I don't know. Um, I, I really don't. Um, I like freedom. I, I think I had some freedom. I'd like a little more freedom. I, I think with this new adventure going forward, I'm going to have some of that freedom that I didn't have before. And so I really don't know. Um, I don't want too much freedom. And I don't want too much constraint, so I'm not sure where that happy medium is going to be. Okay, it's going to be a great experiment. Yeah. Are you going to try to replace yourself to give you more freedom? Yes. I'm looking for, you know, someone that, uh, you know, that I could mentor maybe. Yeah. Uh, that would fill in some of the roles that I'm doing now. Um, and that's always challenging. For sure. Uh, um but we've been looking, and uh, something will happen. I have faith that the right person will come along. So, again, people hearing this are listening to you and thinking about your experiences. Some people listening to this might be, uh, would be entrepreneurs, maybe college students or people who want to become entrepreneurs. What advice would you give to like a really smart, young, driven college student who wants to become a business owner? I would think several things, and I've tried to especially talk to my kids about this. Um, always make a new friend every day, would be my opinion. Is uh, My dad and mom used to say, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. It's amazing how people you meet, and all of a sudden they end up where they can help you. Um, there was uh, So I, I would say always be positive. Uh, never say no when opportunities come. Take a look. Have an open mind. Um, there was a guy who's dead now, Wayne Heisinger, and he used to always say, uh, you can always tell how great a person is by how he treats people that can't help him, mm -hmm. And uh, which is very true. So, you know, as a young person, like when I was in my early 20s, I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, but I tried to make a friend every day. Uh, I tried not to, if I couldn't say anything nice, pretty simple, don't say anything at all. And uh, I think that's, it's helped me to where I am today. There's a lot of advice out there for young entrepreneurs. Do you hear some that you go, oh, that's the worst recommendation I've ever heard? What would that be? <clears throat> well, I, I think... The, the problem I had, and I think someone had, the first step is always the hardest. Yeah. You know, you get out of school and you get a degree and all of a sudden I am somebody. <laughs> and you're afraid to take 
no, that's not what I want to be when I grow up. And that first step sometime, once you take the first step, then that second step becomes a lot easier. Isn't it interesting you just mentioned, so like uh, you get out of school and I am somebody. And the first step is hard because now you have a fear of loss, of losing, because I am somebody. Yeah. But look at your career. I mean, you kept giving a bigger and bigger playing field and a bigger organization and making a bigger impact on your industry. And yet you kept taking those steps. So at each time, it must have felt almost just as hard as right in the beginning. It did. I mean, it, sometimes once you're in the ball game, you really, sometimes you just, in the ball game, you don't think about it. Yeah. And but now are you thinking about after the, re, the you know, the uh, recapitalization with Central Rock? Are you thinking that, um, okay, as we go forward and continue to build the business and the business needs more investment and needs whatever, at least we're not betting the farm every day? Yes. I, I think the next two to three years is going to be a fun time in my life. I think I'm going to, you know, hopefully I can mentor a guy or two. I think I'm going to be out of some of the financial side. I mean, I'll be involved in it, but I won't be in the day-to-day. Hopefully I can at least move to 5,000 feet above instead of right in the grind every day. Um, that That may not be as good. Like right now I'm in the middle of everything. So is my brother. So as you move up, um, you know, I, I don't know, but I think the next two to three years are going to be an exciting time and a fun time as we grow and we get to that next level. I agree with you. I think it will be for you too. So let me go there with you. So let's just go a little further than two to three years. Let's see. Today is February 28th, 2020. Let's pretend we go to sleep tonight. And we wake up tomorrow, and magically, it's February 29th, 2030. What are you going to be working on? (laughs) My golf game. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that's right. (laughs) And it needs a lot of help. (laughs) You know, I I don't know. Uh, I would think that I will be doing something, whether it's a tag or with Center Rock or uh, whoever, um, I think I'll do be doing something part time, mm-hmm. uh, traveling a little bit, um, hopefully walking my dogs on the beach at St. Simon's Island. Nice. Does n- not quite knowing what you might be doing in ten years fill you with uh, trepidation or, or excitement? Both. <laughs> <laughs> It's, um, I think it's excitement. Um, I, I think um, that through this, through this, it's going to help from some estate of planning and some of we can take some chips off the table, and that's a great feeling. Um, but I, I, think it's, I think it's an exciting time the next 10 years. I'm looking forward to it. So in this group of listeners, both... Um, Entrepreneurs and just, you know, even uh, advisors to entrepreneurs, lawyers, accountants, uh, wealth advisors or whatever. There's a lot of high performers, superior achievers. Superior achievement among this group is very common. Yet not all of them would describe themselves as fulfilled or content people. Would you describe yourself as content? I'm content in my life. 
I'm very happy with, you know, I mean, there's some things I'd like to change, but every day I wake up, I'm happy. Um, I mean, that's, it goes back to people want to be around happy people. They don't want to be around complainers. I want to be considered a happy person. I want to be considered a successful person. Uh, I want to be considered someone that does what it needs to be done. So I'm pretty content in my life. I've been pretty content for really since we started TAG. Um, you know, we aimed an arrow. We didn't, we didn't really know how big it was going to become. You know, three years ago, we didn't know we were going to build another plant. Right. So, um, you know, it, it's, we've been following down this trail, and it's a good trail. And so I'm very content. That's great. Last question. So this is your chance to straighten out the story. What's one view or opinion that people have about you that you think is a misunderstanding of you? Wow, Pete. Um, I really don't know. I I would think that uh, I, I would think some of my friends that know me would probably think that I goof off more than I actually do. I, I would some of my closest friends uh, and great acquaintances would probably see me as a jokester and goofing off a lot. Some of that is I want them to see that. They probably don't see the work behind the scenes. Right, right. I, I totally agree with you. I think that people could see you as being such a likable, friendly, uh, cooperative guy that they might not get what the other side of you that I have seen, which is how serious you are about having a high bar and having achievement and accomplishing certain things. They could get confused by that. Yeah, I, I would agree. Thank yeah. you on that. I mean, we're, uh, I like attention to detail. Yeah. And I, that's probably my pet peeve with my inside sales guys. It's my outside sales folks and engineering and anyone else. Um, you know, it doesn't take any longer to do it wrong than it does right. Right. Or, had that backwards, but anyway. <laughs> Oh, right. doesn't take any longer to do it right than it is to do it wrong. Got it. Right. Gary, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us this morning. And um, I think that uh, whoever you recruit to be, uh, that you could mentor for the next few years is a lucky person. Thank you. <laughs>